In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me is Mr. Cal Cooper's stud double, the none other than Mr. Parascience himself, Steve Parsons. Good evening, Ron. <laughs> wow. Cal's cunning stunt double. That's a mouthful. Yeah. So, are you, are you having stunt, a heat wave? Stunt there? double, my friend. Stunt double. Are you, are you having a heat wave over there? No, it's actually about uh, 30 degrees. Uh, we have, uh, whatever that is, in American money, about 68, 70. Oh, that's good weather. That's not bad. We're all in t shirts. It's yeah. the British summer, it only lasts for a week. Is that really true? Yeah, yeah. Ask anybody that comes on from Britain. We have what we have a summer that lasts for one week uh, in March or April, and that's it. The rest of the year, it's umbrellas and uh, overcoats. So you don't get the sun at all. That's why we're all so white and pale and interesting, and that's why it's you so love our all the time. So huh? that's, that's probably why. I, and well, I don't know. I can't figure it out. I just have to go over there and find out for myself. That's all there is yeah. to it. Find out what the heck is going on. Well, everybody comes to visit you. It's time you came over and visited us. I know, I know, and now of course we have this huge uh, event in uh, July and uh, Spirit Quest, which is a three-day event, and it, it's uh, two continents, one event. And it, it's kind of neat. It's I've combined the best of American and the best of UK into this phenomenal. Did I say phenomenal? Yes, phenomenal event. So I'm psyched about it. It sounds really exciting. I, um, I I've been asked to um, give a mention to uh, to uh, Cal's book, Telephone Calls from the Dead Revisited, uh, which I think comes out tomorrow. And um, it follows up from Scott Rogo's original research. It's like the sequel that uh, Rogo never wrote. Cal's put a lot of work into this. So, uh, calcooper.com and order your copy. I've also got to say, apparently, uh, due to some new research information that's come to light only today, uh, it would appear that orbs are actually comprised of pink fairy dust. Really? 
I, you know, I, I really believe that myself. I've always had that, you know, thought in the back of my head. I said, well, you know, uh, if they're anything, they've got to be pink fairy dust. Well, I say this is this is brand new research, and I'm still working my and, way through it, so I can't really, really comment at this stage. It's it's ri- literally hot off the presses. So, how many we, fairies we, did you interview? Uh, I haven't. This is this is actually the work of Cal Cooper. Um, new research by Cal, and that's oh, okay. why he's not with us tonight because uh, he's in the land of the fairies or pharaohs, I should say, uh, conducting further research. Has he left already? Um, I think he's in the process of leaving first thing in the morning, so it's an early night for Cal. Oh, that's a shame. Or a blessing. (laughs) I mean, have you ever been to Egypt? Uh, No, I've I've never seen the pyramids. Um, I've never seen the sunrise on a crocodile or or the rest of the lyrics of that ridiculous song. Um, It's one place that... Sort of interests me, but sort of doesn't. Uh, there are places I'd much rather see. Really? Like Antarctica. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's just because of the age of the monuments and stuff. And if you believe in any type of paranormal activity, and you believe in, you know, all that stone tape theory and all that other stuff, then, you know, I don't know, it'd be kind of an interesting place, to, you know, That'd a phenomenal f- laboratory, if you must. No, it would be absolutely fascinating. It's it's not uh, top of my list. Uh, it's certainly on the list, but not top of the mm-hmm. list. There are, um, but as you say, um, it was the earliest of the major civilizations, um, and even today there are a lot of people who relate their uh, New Age beliefs back to the Egyptian beliefs and the Egyptian religions. So uh, it's it's still very relevant. I guess we're having a hard time getting a hold of this uh, Val Hood character. Uh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's an obvious joke coming up here, isn't there, about you, the medium had to cancel due to unforeseen circumstances. Uh, I like that. <laughs> no, that was not what I was going to say. I was, had my serious face on, but that's okay. I'll take that one anyways. But So what is on the top of your list of places to visit then? Uh, per- personally, for me, it would be, uh, as I say, Antarctica. Um, as, a, as a child, I used to love reading about the uh, adventures of the polar explorers, and um, particularly Captain Scott. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to actually spend some time on uh, Scott's ship, the Discovery. Um, which, really? Which uh, is actually based in Dundee. And we, we did it for an episode of Most Haunted. Uh, they were looking for ghosts. I was supposed to be looking for ghosts, but I was completely captivated by the fact that this ship had been to the South Pole with both Scott and Shackleton uh-huh. um, during the... You know, Shackleton's the ghost. You realise that, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, and the All right, move right along. Yeah, the ship is, a, is, a, is apparently haunted by the ghost of Shackleton. As uh, well as his, his uh, hut. In uh, Antarctica, uh, I I don't know about that. To be honest with you, that's that's new information for me. Well, um, it's in my book, Ghost Today. If you go with it, you can find out the story of. Yeah, it's and and he was you know seen by a reputable source. So that's the interesting thing about it. Well, it it certainly say I I haven't I I haven't read your book. Obviously, um, this is this is clearly a night for plugging of books, and I don't have one to plug. Um, <laughs> Just have to fix that. 
<laughs> Maybe it's time I got out the, the quill and started scribbling on some papyrus. I, am sure, I mean, a life that you have, I'm sure, is worth a book. Do you know, I, the, the problem is, um, I have, people have mentioned writing a book to me um, about ghost hunting, but the problem is, it, it would, there are so many, um, there are so many books about how to hunt for ghosts, uh, about the subject of ghost hunting, Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really wouldn't stand out on the shelf, I don't think. So uh, I've always... I'm on the hunt for a subject. Um, well, I mean, why do we have to I do it as that. a how-to book? Why can't we just do it as, as you know, your experiences? Because I believe that the paranormal, is, more than anything, is personal experiences. So if you write a book about your personal experiences, you're actually doing uh, a great service to the paranormal community who you know, don't have your experiences. So, I mean, it's, uh, to me, that's what it's all about, is really the personal experience. Well, it certainly is about the experience. Um, I don't know. I think I think my life's pretty dull. Um, I, I... I am rather tempted because people people know me for always grumbling and complaining. Maybe I should do one. Really? Jeez, I would have never guessed. <laughs> the Grumpy Ghost Hunter. Maybe there's a title for a book. There you go. I can I can rant on about all of the things in the paranormal world that wind me up. Right. I mean, you, you certainly have had the experiences uh, knowing and meeting so many uh, people in the field and and dealing with them in various ways and, you know, and from the extremes, from, uh, you know, someone who's really quite the skeptic like Karen O'Keefe to somebody like uh, Richard Felix, who is Richard Felix. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and, you know, everybody in between. So I, 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 I would find it interesting as, you know, your feelings and your personal beliefs about what, you know how you perceive these people, and uh, and, and I, uh, to me in itself would be interesting. Oh, well, maybe I'll sit down, dish the dirt, and name names. I've no, actually... oh, wait a minute. I, 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 <laughs> I maybe I may have to correct myself, but didn't you write a book with Karen O'Keefe on something like "So You Wanted to Be a Ghost Hunter" or something? Uh, no, um, I've I've contributed actually to a lot of books. Um, contributed, contributed is a good word. And um, I've been cited in, uh, I was going to say in many court cases, but I've been cited in, and referenced in, in quite a few books, as indeed of Parascience. Uh, but as yet, um, neither myself or Anne from Parascience have actually put pen to paper under our own banner. Uh, so that's something, that's something on the to-do list, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've just got to find the right subject. Um, but the Grumpy Ghost Hunter does kind of appeal to me because... Uh, I don't know, it's sort of, there's a lot to grumble about, isn't there? Well, there is, but I mean, the whole thing is, because we know so little about it, you know, we should be grumbling. We shouldn't accept everything, you know. I mean, what if I just sat here and, ex- and, excited, and accepted the fact that uh, orbs are made of pink fairy dust, right? So I, I go out and I'm looking for pink fairy dust to, so I can recreate orbs. Well, I should leave that entirely to you, personally. <laughs> um, I'm not going to waste much time looking for pink fairy dust orbs. I'll leave that one to Cal. Um, I think that's very much Cal's, Cal's research project. Um, 
As for Richard, Richard's written quite a few books. Uh, looking across at the bookshelf, um, he's, well, he's written dozens of, the, of, the, of books. Um, I've only got the ones in which I get some form of mention. Um, but which Richard, one is that? Um, well, there are several, actually. I'm just looking. Ghosts of... Um, bleh, they're all... It's, it's, the shelf is a long way. It's down the opposite end of the shelf in oh, OK, OK, that's not a problem. Um, but, yeah, Richard has written dozens and dozens. I think he's written just about every county in Great Britain. Uh, the right. ghosts of every county. And we've, you know, we've, we've done some stuff together, Richard and I, so I haven't heard from him for a very long time. Well, he's, he's kind of incognito right now. Well, he's, he's quite busy with his uh, stage show, I understand. The psychic and the science. Correct. Um, so that, I guess that's keeping him busy. Um, or he's just avoiding me, I think, one or the other. I think he's avoiding all of us. <laughs> so, what is a ghost? Is the eternal question that all of us are engaged in, physical research, have been striving to be able to answer. It could be argued that science really only took a serious interest in trying to answer this question in 1882, following the formation of the Society for Physical Research. Does that sound familiar? That sounds very familiar. Yes, that's because it's your contribution to What is a Ghost <laughs> by Richard Felix. <laughs> do you know, I still haven't got a copy of that book. I do. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I've got uh, probably a dozen of them sitting here on my shelf. Yeah, you'll have to. Well, I've got more chance of getting one from you than I have off Richard. You're absolutely it's a, right. It's, a, it's an interesting. Cal's coming question. over here from from the UK to get one. <laughs> it's it's well, when when uh, Kieran and Yvette wrote their book, the only way I could get a copy is to go out and buy one. Um, <laughs> despite many promises, the uh, it's a very interesting question though. Uh, what is a ghost? And it, I, I guess it's one of those eternal questions that we all strive to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people, I think one of the fundamental mistakes that's being made or is made is linking ghosts with survival of death. Um, and Harry Price made that point quite clearly back in the 1930s, that there, is, there may not be any relationship at all between apparitions um, and ghosts and survival of bodily death and spirits. The two might be completely separate, and that the the discovery of a ghost or the the sighting of a ghost does not necessarily mean that um, the 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 person uh, whose shade you you're seeing has survived death. It might simply, as you said before, be be a replay from a from a building or a time slip or some other phenomena, uh, a complete hallucination. We just don't know. Uh, but a lot of people true. do. A lot of people do make that direct link between the two. You know, I've seen a ghost, or they uh, mediums in particular. Um, and I was, I was hoping, or oh, when when Val gets to join us, um, to to talk about that with her, because spiritualists have a completely different outlook, a different perspective, and it would be interesting to to talk that over with Val. Uh, because they, they, of course, intrinsically believe in survival of, of death, um, that the consciousness survives. Um, and yet they go ghost hunting, which is always um, interesting for me. Um, you know, they're, they're looking for something which basically they probably know is there. Yeah, I mean, 
I wish Val was here so we could have ask her a question, but I'm actually sending her a message now and see what what uh, the problem is here. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean everybody looks at it entirely different. Uh, and, and by the way, it goes back to the old orb thing. What are orbs? You know, it's the same thing. Everybody sees an orb as something different. Everything from a ghost to the Blessed Virgin to angels <laughs> to fairies to, you know, your Aunt Susan to demons. So, don't know. I was reading a very interesting book, actually, by an American physicist who inevitably works, worked for NASA. They all seem to. Um, with his take on orbs, and his proof um, centred around a photograph that had been presented to him, that had been taken inside a, uh, let me just be absolutely clear, it was a dental clean room, a medical clean room, where there was uh, very, very little dust, and yet an orb appeared, and he said that that was clear, clear proof that uh, obviously dust played no no part in in the produ- production of orbs in digital photography. Uh, really, he then went on to say that um, it wasn't actually you know sort of a NASA type clean room you know where there was no dust at all. Um, and he did his own maths and he came down to the uh, possibility that there was so many. Uh, million units of dust per cubic centimeter uh, per cubic meter of air. And he produced a figure that this this uh, came down to the uh, one in twenty chance of actually um, of there being a dust particle in front of the camera. One in twenty. It's a bit low, isn't it? <laughs> it's sort mm. of uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, water vapor. You would have to throw that in there, so that wouldn't be another percentage of some sort. Well. You know that this was this was this guy's, and he, he wrote a whole book about it, um, the Orb Project. Klaus Heinemann, I think he is. Oh I yeah, isn't the Orb isn't the Orb Project the one? It's almost like a religion where they yes they they show orbs like dancing, and they some they actually believe they're almost like extraterrestrial beings or something. Yep, and they also believe that um, previous uh, sort of friends have re- uh, and have reincarnated and returned as orbs to these orbs. Yeah, right. Um, which sounds a bit depressing, to be honest, because, you know, I'm fairly intelligent, grumpy, granted, but uh, the thought of, the thought of uh, you know, surviving death to come back as a soap bubble, um, perhaps a soap bubble that throws stones, really. I, I, it, it's weird, because you really, I mean, we, it's like, if you're going to live for eternity, what are you going to do, you know what I mean? Well, I've got plans. I, <laughs> immortality is, is something that's always appealed to me. I, 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 there are so many interesting things to see and do that immortality, um, with health, of course, would suit me. Um, or, failing that, uh, I'll happily come back as a ghost or a spirit um, in order to be able to uh, keep up to date with things. Maybe that's... Maybe, now, I don't know if Richard covered that, but maybe ghosts are just people who were intrinsically nosy when they were alive, I just wanted to keep tabs on um, the living. Well, that's kind of like the guardian angel thing too. If if you go on a personal level versus you know just the living in general. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I'd like to come back and guard anybody. I'd like to come back and keep tabs on things though. Uh, the, there's just, I mean, 
the world is just such an interesting place. Science is, is interesting. People are interesting. Nature is interesting. There is just, you know, life is finite. And it would just, you know, it's just a shame that, you know, we can't see what's going to happen in 400 years or 500 years or 1,000 years into the future. Um, I'm not talking about fortune telling. It's just I'm curious and I would like to know the outcome um, and like to see things develop. So immortality would suit me. It, it would, you know, is it more, it, it's interesting to me that if we die or when we die, I know we will die, but if we, if we do come back as a spirit, will we, will time be a finite thing? In other words, would we be able to look into the past? Would we be able to imagine, I don't know, look in on the past in, in, that, in that theory? Or would we be able to talk to people who have passed before us, you know, great people, you know, like, uh, you know, Rommel and, uh, you know, uh, Lee and, and any of the great generals or, or any of the great leaders or even, you know, like Buddha or Jesus Christ. I mean, it'd be interesting. It would. And the, the 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 question that you pose there as well is interesting and unfortunately spiritualism hasn't given us the answers because what we do have and um, I've got a large collection of books um, written by uh, early spiritualists many of them apparently dictated to the author um, by from the other side um, are describing the other world the summer land the life beyond the world beyond death um and they are so inconsistent there is no consistency um there's no real consistent thread running through them some people say that um some some people who have passed over death and have uh, dictated books claim to have met and and talked freely with greek philosophers uh, generally, the people from history that, that we admire, they they claim that time. Some some of them claim that time is is elastic; that it can go forwards, it can go backwards. Uh, others claim that it's exactly the same as it is in this world, um, and it, it's no different. Some of them, uh, you know, make claims that it's halfway in between; that the spirit world is comprised of uh, an ethereal. Um, substance that they gain from this world there are all manner of contradicting stories even even being passed to us from from the other side so that we don't have a consistency even when you know we've asked the questions mm-hmm. and on the ops we actually have someone in the chat room paul from uh, the uk and he says uh he's mixed view on ops uh but he can say he has many photographs from different locations some with small balls of fire, which are very strange. Also, many from Richard Felix ghost events. Hmm. <laughs> um, hi, Paul. Um, my views on orbs are, are pretty well known, and um, without actually seeing the photographs, it wouldn't be fair to comment on, on right. the photographs specifically. But it. What, but can what, we? But, but let me be just interrupt you for there can we really comment on a photograph i mean we're not there at the time it happened we we have no clue any of the conditions when that picture was taken no we don't uh we don't know uh and obviously paul will know about the camera um the time and the details of the photograph um but without you know sort of actually seeing them without talking to paul um 
it wouldn't be fair to talk about those photos. But I would say that quite commonly it's offered up that people accept that the vast majority, you know, it's 98, 99% um, of all photographs are dust, are normal, but one or 2% of them um, can't be explained in a paranormal. That's often put forward. Um, and yet the research doesn't support that. Um, over 2,000 um, all pictures taken with the stereo camera, 20 plus thousand taken um, as part of an earlier research project that, that I was doing with orbs, and not one single one of them um, were beyond explanation, were beyond easy, simple, straightforward explanation. Um, so this, this, this statistic of one or two percent um, is always, I think, used as a crutch by the old believers. Um, there are phenomena, I've made this clear several times, um, there are phenomena that have been reported from the very earliest days of psychical research that resemble, uh, by description, orbs. Um, here in Wales, where I live, they have a phenomena that's been known for several hundred years called the corpse candle. Um, and this is a, a portent of death and is described as a small glowing ball of light. Uh, I think over in America you have marsh lights, um, right. will-o'-the-wisp. And they're very, very similar to orb in their description. Um, but, you know, I can only refer to the research that's been done directly with the cameras and with digital photography and infrared night vision video. And that has absolutely shown that what we're seeing with those cameras is mundane. Um, I'd love to see pictures of a corpse candle or a will-o'-the-wisp, and I know that uh, there are pictures of marsh gas that do exist. Um, so I'm not saying that there is, there is no such thing as balls of light that people see. Um, what I am saying, and what the research is supporting, is that when a digital camera or night vision video camera um, is used, the results... Are, are invariably mundane. So, so what's your theory? I mean, we only get a couple minutes of the break uh, on the, this full spectrum stuff. Is that is that any uh, credence to it at all? Can we come back to that after the break? Because there's there's a long answer I'd like to give to talk about full spectrum because it is very very current. Uh, along with EVP, is two of the new directions that psych, uh, paranormal research is going. Uh, Full-spectrum video is, is, of course, coming from Ghost Hunters International, Barry Fitzgerald and his FS camera. Um, but I think that needs a, longer, a slightly longer answer. Uh, okay, so we can do that. I mean, we only got a, a minute left on this anyways. But uh, I do want to uh, mention that I am doing an event tonight uh, called Dining with the Dead. And we will be, I will be joined by Ann Carrigan, uh, the blonde bombshell for my co-host on Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. And she will be doing a presentation on cemetery tripping, which is a big thing in the U.S., not in the U.K., right? Um, no, we do. It's not something we, we tend to do. Um, and one or two researchers over here actually, actually think it's a little bit um, sort of disrespectful of the dead. That's uh -huh. I have actually participated in uh, investigations that that had graveyard components, cemetery components in them, but we weren't investigating the cemetery per se. Right. Uh, but no, I've got no problem with it. Um, Borley, of course, Borley Rectory and Borley Church, perhaps two of the most famous, the churchyard uh, there, along with. 
countless other churchyards in the UK. Uh, well, I hear the beats. That means it's time for a break. So you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Parascience, Steve Parson, and Ron Kolop, New England's own Van Helsink. And we'll be right back after the following messages on Tojinet, Garrex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Welcome to Tojinet, radio with a cutting edge. of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, The Next Generation every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except- so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. Ghost Chronicles International with Ron Kolick, Mr. Parascience himself, Steve Parson, and the rock star of the parapsychologist, Mr. Cal Cooper. Cal, you there? Hello, how's it going? I knew you guys couldn't keep me away. Uh, you know, we, we, we just miss you too much. I Besides, I wanted, you, I wanted you to hear, by the way, congratulations on your new book that's coming out, Telephone Calls from the Dead, which will be available everywhere, and you can get it from uh, calcooper.com as well. Yeah. Uh, available from all good bookstores and petrol stations. Yeah, there you exactly. Go. And if they don't sell it, then they're obviously crap. Ah, I'm not saying that. <laughs> Anyways, I wanted you here because... Uh, Mr. Parascience was going to give us a dissertation on full-spectrum cameras, and I just wanted to uh, your opinion of this wonderful presentation he's about to give us, Mr. Yep. Parascience. Go ahead, Steve. Thanks, Rob. Hey, what are you doing up, Cal? I thought you were up there. Uh, you had an early, an early start. I know. I, I got woken up because I was told that y- you guys were struggling with the show. And oh, you, that's right. You were missing me. And, um, struggling? <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I've been listening. You float till you butted in. No, oh, I'm joking. I, I've been listening so far. It's been good, guys. Uh, but um, I thought I'd come in and just 
say hello before I actually go away for two weeks. Ah, in search of the pink fairy dust orbs. Pink fairy dust orbs and uh, some pink pharaoh dust orbs as well. And, and will you be doing the show via carrier pigeon? A carrier pigeon as well, carrying orbs. From Richard? yeah, will you be doing? Uh, no, will you be doing the show via car- carrier pigeon? Um, I Ibis. <laughs> I don't want to tread on Richard's toes. I'll, I'll leave the pigeons to him. Ibex. Ibis. You know that that's entirely possible because if you can get a line of carrier pigeons from Egypt to the UK in certain intervals with their wings flapping, it should create enough sound waves to be able to carry your voice. Or he could just use the mobile phone. Oh, you could use uh, 10 cannon strings too, but that's <laughs> even more difficult. So anyways, Mr. Parascience, would you like to uh, give us your... Uh, dissertation on this uh, full-spectrum camera? Yeah, absolutely, because essentially it's a contract. Um, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't and can't work uh, for two very good reasons. Um, one, the first being the cost. Um, the, the, you, can, you can buy, apparently, a full-spectrum video camera now for $50, $60, yep. something like that. Um, technically, it's perfectly possible. Cal, stop typing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually quickly moved my fingers away then. <laughs> Absolute guilt. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Essentially, um, it is perfectly true uh, and possible. Um, based on the, the imaging chips, the digital imag- imaging chip, the charge couple device or its newer contemporary, the CMOS, both of which have an increased sensitivity to infrared light. Uh, so much so, in fact, that uh, the device um, actually has to have special filtering, otherwise all your digital photographs would come out a funny colour. Um, and night, the night vision systems on cameras, the enhanced infrared systems that Sony used, actually just switch the filters off. Um, or remove them from in front of the device. Mm-hmm. Um, the chip is also slightly sensitive to ultraviolet light, um, but only fractionally. Um, now, technically, in order to be able to see infrared light, you have to first of all remove the infrared blocking filter, and then you have to remove a filter that, uh, or place in front of the lens a filter that it removes visible light. If you remove, if you don't remove that filter, you will get visible light and infrared light, and that's that's how these cameras work. If you take your night vision camcorder out on a bright day, or you put the room light on, the camera is working both in the infrared and the visible spectrum. Okay. Uh, however, due to the lens coatings. Uh, that are applied to the optics and the material that the lenses themselves are made from, the ultraviolet sensitivity um, is ineffective. It's not, it's, the chip actually is, the, the ultraviolet light is blocked by the filters and by the physical material of the lens itself, the glass. Um, there are medical ultraviolet cameras uh, in which the lenses costing tens of thousands of dollars are made out of uh, special materials, uh, special crystal lenses um, or, or similar materials that allow it, 
uh, ultraviolet light to reach the imaging chip. But the imaging chip itself is only sensitive to around about, um, a f well, not very far into the ultraviolet band um, mm -hmm. because of these physical barriers and constraints that get in the way. Now, full spectrum, the idea of full spectrum, according to the people that try and sell it, is that it can see infrared, ultraviolet, and visible all at the same time. And how they achieve that is by effectively taking off the blocking filter, the low-pass filter from in front of the imaging chip, and putting on what's called a Woods filter, um, or a Rattan uh, filter in front of the lens, which blocks visible light but allows some ultraviolet and some infrared to pass. So full spectrum actually means only infrared with a little tiny amount of ultraviolet uh, that can get through the lens uh, material, the glass or the plastic of the lens. So it's really uh, an inaccurate description. It can't see all three band bandwidths, the infrared, the visible, and the ultraviolet simultaneously. Um, the f another problem is that infrared is emitted by ev almost every object in the form of heat energy, and that's right. the principle right. of thermal camera uses. So all objects emit infrared light. Uh, in the visible spectrum, objects reflect light. So you have to have a light source in order in order to be able to see. That's why we need to put lights on or use torches um, in, in darkness. Ultraviolet also needs a, ref uh, a light source because objects don't emit ultraviolet light uh, normally and naturally. And so if you were sitting in a darkened room with an ultraviolet camera, you wouldn't see anything and nor would the camera uh, because there is no ultraviolet light unless you introduce some. Uh, and you would have to put in, because ultraviolet is low or you know, very, very uh, short wavelength light, you would have to put a lot of ultraviolet light into the scene, so much so that any person inside or in the room would, get a sunburn. The would be sunburned and their eyes would develop cataracts. Um, hmm. So you can't actually photograph uh, ultraviolet um, without expending a huge amount of money on cameras with very, very specialist uh, filters, optics, and uh, systems to, to achieve that. There are two exceptions, again, costing substantial amounts of money, uh, which were designed by Fuji and Nikon for the medical industry. And they have a slight enhanced ability uh, to... to photograph uh, in the ultraviolet band um, for, for medical forensics, for pathology, uh, for CSI use, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but when they're doing that, they have to be infrared blocked. So they'll have an infrared blocking filter and partial uh, visible light blocking filters used as well. So you can't actually do um, all three wavelengths of light simultaneously. You know what? I, I, what's the purpose, anyways? I mean, of, of what is the theory that and a U, a, not a UV, but a uh, full spectrum camera would capture a spirit? I mean, I'm trying to understand the theory behind it. 
Well, um, the theory is, and it's a flawed theory, um, if I, I'll continue to, um, the, the theory is that the, more, the broader the, the, ele- the, the region spectrum. of the electromagnetic spectrum that we look at, it might be where we see the ghosts. Um, you know, they might just be out of our visual range. Uh, and so if we use a camera with an enhanced visual range, we might detect them all lurking there in the corner of a room. Um, the camera can see what we can't see. That's the theory. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fundamental problem that psychical research would have with that theory in that uh, when you go to uh, a location to investigate a haunting, uh, almost invariably you're basing your investigation on a witness report, on an account of somebody or, or successive people going along and saying, I've seen a ghost. I saw an apparition, etc., etc. All of those apparitions and ghosts have been seen with the human eye. Therefore, they are in the visible spectrum. Right. So there is no need to look elsewhere because what you're really there to do is to test the claim and the veracity of the claim of the witness that they saw a ghost, that they saw an apparition. And so you, you, you need to see exactly what the witness can see. And indeed, for EVP research, if they hear sounds, if they hear voices, then you need to listen in the human hearing range, not the ultrasonic and not the infrasound ranges that some people have, have started to explore uh, in their search for the paranormal. Uh, yeah. You know, what do you think of this, Cal? I mean, is, is this what Steve's saying? Do you believe, uh, you concur with it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who am I to argue with Steve? <laughs> no, wow. No, no, no. no. What you said, it, it's it's Steve's field. I mean, it's certainly treading outside of psychology because it's dealing with the physical mechanics of these things. But when he relates them to psychology, it makes perfect sense, uh, especially with visual in terms of visual perception as well. You know, why would you kind of look for other areas of um well, areas outside of what people are reporting. It's visual perception. That's what people are reporting. So why would you go into these um, uh, these other bands? So, yeah, I, I totally concur with what Steve's saying here. You know, what's interesting is that um, when I first started doing paranormal investigating, I actually hooked up with a uh, Franciscan monk who used to do infrared photography of mm. spirits, what he believed in spirits. And... You know, it was quite telling. I mean, when you saw the photographs, they were, you know, quite interesting. Uh, And then when I uh, met the Berkshire Paranormal Group, they began years and years ago starting to experiment with the UV range. And I thought that was kind of like, you know, it's it's good that people are trying something outside of the box. But, uh, you know, I always thought that that the, the spirits were more visible in infrared than ultraviolet. But... You know, so uh, to me, that's why I'm not a big fan of the uh, full spectrum camera because I don't think that the UV range brings anything to the table. Well, also interesting. There's, there's there's a couple of other problems with um, outside of the the visual range uh, imaging, be it photography or video. Uh, the first, of course, being that you are looking at pictures in an unfamiliar way. Uh, we're used to seeing the world in terms of um, a certain wavelengths of light. And when you start looking at 
uh, pictures taken in a completely different wavelength of light or a completely different wave part of the electromagnetic spectrum in terms of a thermal imaging camera, you see things uh, presented visually that you're not used to. And right. there's a natural interpretation to say, to see a normal explainable anomaly on an infrared camera in terms of mm-hmm. it must be paranormal because I've never seen that before on, on, on another camera. And yet, mm-hmm. the way the infrared camera works, that is a perfectly normal thing for it to do, an anomaly within the system. But uh, let's go back to spiritualism and let's relate this to, to the spirits themselves. Uh, okay. Since the earliest days of spirit communication in the, uh, from the 18, mid-1850s onwards, the spirits have insisted um, that they can only either perform in darkness or red light. Uh, and they've been quite, this has been a consistent thread throughout spiritualism and seances yeah. that they have to be conducted using red light and only red light. Now, if you then introduce ultraviolet light, then if, if they need red um, in order to flourish and to manifest and to perform activities, then any form of ultraviolet will be harmful and damaging because it's, it's short wave, it's very high energy light compared to lower frequency infrared and the red spectrum. So they're not exactly going to inhabit the ultraviolet band, are they? Right. Does yeah, that makes so sense, actually. Based on spirit, you know, I, I'm, I'm basing that on what, on what you know, the spirits themselves have said. You know, they like red light, so they're not going to be very happy with ultraviolet. Yeah. Hmm. I, I've questioned some people before when they have used red light during uh, sounds and said, well, you know, who actually in the first place the spirits like red light? Where's this come from? Was that a message that was brought forward by them? And if, if it was in terms of just psychology um, fitters, it would make sense of using red light. I mean, we've mentioned the Gansfeld before. But when they set that up in the 1960s, it was purely um, a, a tool for psychology and not parapsychology um, for altering um, states of consciousness. They test different forms of uh, coloured light to see which um, people reacted with the best. So they tried greens and blues and so on. Red because it kept people calm and relaxed. And when they were looking at the red light and they could feel the heat from the bulb in some cases, it actually made them feel like they're on a beach or in a sunny place. So it kept them calm when they're in an unnatural situation. And sitting around a table in the dark holding hands is certainly an unnatural situation. But, you know, it, it's not for the benefit of the sitters. It's always said it's for the benefit of the spirits that it's red light. Well, it's actually the spirits themselves that, that provided that um they they've uh, they've been asked many many times at seances um by the by yeah, and they themselves have said that they are happy in dim red light that they can perform the the materializations um and produce ectoplasm and pseudopods in red light in dim red light but not in colored or white light um which would you know if we take that on its face value alone um would suggest that you know any form of uh, short wavelength or ultraviolet light would be you know a complete uh, oh no as far as spirits in, uh, were concerned. You know, you know what's interesting, and, and and I just thought of this as you said that is that when a lot of uh, spiritualists or, or people who are doing spiritual experiments, they actually use white light for protection. 
which is kind of interesting, don't you think? Or indeed blue light. Um, Yeah, blue light too as well, you're right. They invoke blue light for protection, which would suggest that it's not. So we have it from um, the the spirits themselves. Um, We have it from the mediums and the spiritualists. Ultraviolet. So why we look? So why ghost hunters looking in the ultraviolet? Because they like gadgets, and because fifty dollars for a camera that can photograph ultraviolet light apparently seems like a good gadget to have in the flight case. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> you know. Anyways. Oh, guys. Before I know that we're running out of time on this, but I do want to mention something. What I think you both be interested on. Uh, last uh, was the last Tuesday. Uh, the 20th, right. Yeah, I, I had my paranormal study group, and we did a remote investigation via Skype. And it, it was it was really kind of interesting. Uh, I, we Skyped into a location in Gettysburg, and we were in uh, Andover, Massachusetts, and we started collecting uh, information with basically uh, anybody who, you know, got thoughts or whatever. And we also uh, had some uh, 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 meters and stuff as well, and we, we did some other experiments, and we did get a reaction from this, and it, it was... Of all the things I found interesting was some of the information that we gathered uh, on our end. And when when Mark Nesbitt came on, who was Mr. Gettysburg, and no one knew where we were other than in Gettysburg, and, and we told him the information we collected, well, that information was correlated to the spirits that uh, haunted that particular location uh, that they, they know about from the past. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I've I've never come across. I know you mentioned it previously as well, Ron. It's uh, it's not something I've ever come across. This uh, remote investigation, remote telemetry from an investigation, I am aware of. Uh, yeah. Um, it's a, it's a or remote tel- uh, temperature telemetry, but not not the type of investigation you just outlined. Yeah, it's it's something that I I, I wanted to play with, and and it, we had you know interesting results enough that I will do this again and uh, I'd like to probably do something from the UK which would be kind of a neat place to do but the, the whole key of it is is not to allow the students to know where we are or where they're actually going to view and so it's kind of a, a blank slate they have no clue and yet they're able to come up with some information that you know, correlates uh, to the spirits that supposedly haunt in this location. So I, uh, that's that's really intriguing. I definitely want to do more research on this. How many people? This is your area, Cal, because this is this is kind of uh, more remote viewing, isn't it? Yeah. How many people were involved, Ron? We had twenty-one in our, in our class. Have you got all the feedback now? Pardon me. Like. Like everything they wrote down, have you got all of the feedback from the experiment? I have the feedback, yes. So uh, what you could do now really is kind of weigh up all the specific kind of um, things you would class as hits that they came out with against all the things that were wrong. But I actually kind of a bit of qualitative research here and actually find out what specifically they were getting wrong and what things they were getting right and how exactly accurate they were to the location. Because... Mm -hmm. 
you know, you've got to look at coincidences here and have they, you know, just come out with as much information as they can. And it's really, you know, there's some good shots in the dark here and they're getting it right to the location. But if they're coming up with exact names and surnames of the person that was there and maybe their job and what they did, you know, then we all get very specific. But. The interesting thing, I mean, there were, were I mean, we got uh, that it was a female spirit that was there and the age and the appearance and a time period. Uh, we got uh, a soldier that was hiding, a soldier that was wounded, and uh, there was there's a bunch of other stuff too. But uh, you know, those were really specific things that uh, we could find out. You know, similar to who they believe haunted it, and it was a, a woman over the same age, of the, the the same appearance. There was. A, a soldier there that was wounded and was being hidden by this woman. And, and then it all came out, which is pretty specific. It's not like something that you would say, oh, yeah, I see a guy in a blue car. Uh, yeah, you know, that's pretty obvious. Or, or, or I see a soldier that was there. Uh, but, you know, we're a specific where he was wounded for one thing. Number two, where he was actually being hidden. And, you know, that, that's that's the kind of specific stuff. That's, that's what intrigued me, I think, more than anything. And, and believe it or not, we actually got some uh, voices that kind of correlated this as well. So that was interesting as well. Not as much as the, the, the physical, um, the, the, not the physical, but the, uh, the mediumistic stuff that was picked up. Cool. So, so was that just one person specifically? Out of the no, no, this is a group. So several people were coming out with this exact information when right. when they were quite Was the group of individuals, were they um, together or were they sort of separate from each other in some sort of booth? Yeah, or I mean, it was, it's a small room. We had 21 people on a U-shaped table and we were all sitting around and we all had pads of yeah. paper. We had, you know, we had the lovely K2 meter and uh, EMF meters uh -huh. out there across. And uh, we had pendulums. We had other things. And, and people so, were gathering so people... information from various... Ways. Uh, we we had uh, ghost radar. We had, you know, you name it. Whatever you cared to use for your experiment, and whether you cared to use for uh, uh, collecting information, that's all we wanted to, to know. You you use whatever you're comfortable with, and whatever information you get, we we do would just uh, correlate it, and that's that's the stuff that happened. So it was good. Yeah, the, the, I, mean, I was just. Um, trying to clarify whether the group of people were, um, you, you, you've answered the question. Isolated, they were not isolated, no. No, they were, so, so they were able to, to cross-pollinate ideas between each other. Except there was no talking. Oh, okay. But See, that's, they, that's the, go ahead. Were they, yeah, were they sitting so close so that they could possibly see other people's notes? Well, absolutely, but that being said, the the information was not like it was in a row somewhere. It would be from one person on one side of the table, to another person on the other side of the table, and it, it was it was interesting. You know, you know what I'm saying. It's not like uh, first of all, you know, I know the group. In, in fact, the, the group itself is does not even get along. Uh, so it's not like they would share information. Let's put it that way. <laughs> But I'm it was sure, interesting. Ben. I'm sure. I'm sure that you know follow-up uh, experiments will will you know prove enlightening. Yeah. Oh, the pizza's here, guys. 
Ooh, yum, yum. So, anyways, Cal, I, I do want to mention one more experiment that I'm going to do every month at this paranormal study group, and that is I have these two tens, and uh, I have a British, I mean, American quarter and a British some kind of pence. I don't know what it is. It's a, it's about the same size as a quarter and same That's thing. That's about Richard Felix pays people for... Yeah, well, anyways, I have I have one of each, right? And I and I mix them up with me. in my hands. Just mix them up, shove them in the in a metal box. One each in the metal box, and then I take these two cards, mix them up. One says number one, and number says number two, and then I put them on top of it. So I have no clue what coin is in what box. And then I've given it to the class, and everyone tries to tell me which coin is in which box. And now this is a. Straight, I can do a straight math model on on this thing, and we'll see if they're. And all, all, they give me two. They give me two bits of information. They give me their initials, and they tell me which coin is in which thing. So basically, I'm going to uh, be able to do the, the math in this thing and see if there is any anomalies at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty straight up, right? I mean, I mean yeah. I'm sorry, but what do you mean? Ooh, what a great reaction, Cal. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I was just listening. You're, just, you're the co-host. I'm the guest. You're the one. <laughs> Whatever. We're talking. We're talking there about clearly uh, a parapsychologically uh, orientated experiment. That one that uh, you have probably uh, replicated on I'm sure. a few occasions, and that your research, your current research in parapsychology, have. Um, as a ghost hunter, uh, no. Um, I prefer to uh, conduct investigations into haunted houses. Um, so it's very much your ball, Cal. Well, I've done loads of labs research and, um, you know, turning human behavior into numbers. And it is useful, but I still prefer the early psychical research stuff. I prefer people's accounts. A lot can be learned from people's accounts. So, uh, you know, th this is why I feel there's so much coincidence that can creep into some of the lab stuff. So this is why, as we've just questioned Ron and the remote viewing stuff, you have to look at all the possibilities for where right. the results and information are coming from to make sure you're so tight with the methods. You know what? We're going to have to continue this another time because we've just about <laughs> run out of time. I'm sorry. Cal Cooper's new book is coming out or out tomorrow or today, and you got to buy it. Phone calls from the dead. It's awesome. Mr. Uh, Steve Parson, thank you so much for joining me. Mr. Paris oh, Science, go visit the website. Awesome stuff. Till next week, I guess it's time to say good night. God bless everyone. I want to get that pizza. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.